the steel bike that I built. That's that whole time trial frame, fork, um, bar stem, everything was steel and the whole thing weighed 15 pounds. Um, it's like, huh, so if I can build a time trial bike that weighs 15 pounds where I wasn't really worried about weight, then maybe I can build a really light road bike that's going to also perform really well. Welcome to SRAMcast. I'm Daniel Slusser. Rob English is the kind of frame builder that other frame builders want to commission a bike from. This is because he has a rare combination of skills and abilities. He's a Cambridge trained engineer with a master's degree in mechanical engineering. He also happens to be a world record holding time trialist and an impressive craftsman as well. Rob operates out of his home workshop in Eugene, Oregon. His creations range from workhorse touring and road race bikes to some radically designed yet elegant machines that have won him numerous best in show awards at NABs. We met with Rob in his workshop to record this special episode of SRAMcast. We started by asking him how electronic drivetrains and hydraulic disc brakes have affected the way he designs and builds bikes. So when DI2 first came along, I had to figure out you know, how to integrate this into the frame. Um, again, the wires through and, and the battery inside and all that good stuff, um, which was fine up until the industry generally moved to 30 millimeter bottom bracket spindles because then there was no longer enough room in a BSA shell to fit the wires through very easily. Um, so the T47 oversized bottom bracket does resolve that, uh, but it's a bit unnecessary on a steel frame. It doesn't add any other benefit. So it just adds more weight without increasing the stiffness or anything else that would be useful. So I kind of have to, you know, as far as electronic drivetrains go, SRAM ETAP has been fantastic because I don't have to worry about putting anything inside. So I can optimize the frame purely for the performance characteristics that I'm looking for without having to worry about fitting anything else inside. Um, and on the other side of things, when it comes to assembly time, ETAP is by huge amount way faster to set up than any other mechanical or electronic drivetrain. So it saves me time there too. And as far as hydraulic brakes go, um, I've been you know, building road and commuting um, disc brake bikes for, for years. And I've always put the disc brake on the chainstay, previously on a post mount, which meant I had to do uh, slightly uh, bent seat stays. So I'd often have asymmetric seat stays at the back to clear the caliper. Um, so then when the flat mount standard came out, I had to kind of retool for that and figure out how to do that process, um, design and made my own bosses and, and things like that. Uh, but it actually makes a really neat setup and sits the caliper tight to the chainstay. Um, and then for, as far as routing the, ha the hose for that, again, it's that space in the bottom bracket shell. So if, if it needs to be fully internal, you need to go to an oversized bottom bracket. Um, so often I suggest just having it internal in the down tube, uh, then I can stick with the BSA bottom bracket, have that slightly lighter frame, and just run the hose externally under the left chainstay. It's kind of exciting to integrate stuff into the designs and, and figure out the best way to, to redesign around this new stuff. After seeing how Rob works in his efficiently laid out one-man workshop, we retired to his living room for an in-depth discussion about his background and the bikes that he builds. Of course, your, your bikes are undeniably beautiful, but it's clear that their form follows function. 
Is that design aesthetic informed by your training as a mechanical engineer? Yeah, so um, ultimately I don't really care what the bike looks like because um, uh, I'm a I'm a bike racer and a bike user um, and an engineer, so it's, it's a tool. Um, and ultimately I don't really care what a tool looks like. I mean, there's some decisions that, where it doesn't matter for the function, so you can choose the thing that you think has the best aesthetic, but for the most part, I really couldn't care what it looks like. So, so I mean, as you mentioned there, I mean, you've, you're a very successful racer. So you have a really rare combination of talents. I mean, you're an engineer, you're a racer, you're a fabricator. It's kind of a perfect storm for a frame builder, isn't it? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I think hopefully I've got the experience in enough different ways of using a bike to really have an informed um, opinion when building um you know i've commuted by bike all my life i've raced various different disciplines at a pretty high level um i've toured um and so you can kind of all that experience goes into what i do and so it really helps relate to my customers if they say i'm doing this with it so yeah I've, i've done that i know what what the bike needs to be to fulfill that role i know you're a humble guy but can you tell us some highlights from your palmares <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, just an amateur racer. I never, I raced against the pros some, but I've, you know, just been dabbling with it since I was, a since I was in college really. Um, so let's see. Um, so I'm still the British hour record holder, um, for people may look at Bradley Wiggins, but he's not riding an aerodynamic bicycle. If you get into a, a fully streamlined, uh, recumbent that I ride um so I did just over 50 miles in an hour um I did hold the sprint record the British sprint record for 12 years to that got beaten recently um and then with regular bicycles um uh I've won four 12-hour mountain bike races one 24-hour um best placings of seventh in the national british time trial and fourth in the british hill climb championships um won the uh the duo normand two up time trial in france um and i know it's been i've done so much stuff it's just like it's been a while um and then in oregon here i've got i think five individual time trial championships and seven team time trial championships and two podium places in the road race the road race win has eluded me so far but um yeah so you know it's impressive stuff um so i mean with all the success you've had and all this experience both racing and riding and as a frame builder have any of the big brands out there tried to recruit you and would you ever consider going to work for someone else? Um, no one's ever tried to recruit me. Um, and I'd consider it, I guess, but my, my perception at least is that if you go to be an engineer at a big company is that you don't get to make anything anymore. Um, so it depend on the setup. Like if there's somewhere that had a, really incredible R&D workshop and you could be employed to go design and build the prototypes, that could be kind of appealing. Um, But I kind of really enjoy being my one-man band and not being beholden to anybody apart from my customers. 
Um, and I set my own schedule and work from home. Um, so I'm pretty pretty happy with how I've landed. So there aren't a lot of steel frame builders out there that are so focused on building high performance bikes like you are. Most are doing these throwback style kind of retro builds that are kind of more aimed at like Fondo style bikes. And of course they're, you know, they're made to perform at a high level, but ride quality, comfort and fit. Those are kind of the primary focus. And, and of course th those are important to you too. But, and while you make all kinds of bikes, um, including ones like these, you know, to some degree, almost nobody's trying to make steel bikes that directly compete with the best carbon bikes in terms of outright race performance, but you're doing it and you're doing it incredibly well. I mean, you're, you're making bikes at that level in pretty much every road bike category. I mean, like road TT gravel, like what pushed you to go in this direction? Um, so the first bike I built came about was a Tantra bike because I couldn't get the fit I wanted on anything else. Um, cause I've got really long arms. So trying to get the drop I need to the bars is difficult on a production bike. Um, and I had some ideas about, I'd always kind of liked the old school skinny tubed steel TT bikes from, from back in the UK. Um, and I thought that could be improved upon a little bit. So, um, uh, you know, I can't, I don't have any wind tunnel or, you know, um, computational fluid dynamics capabilities or stuff but um you know bicycles are pretty messy shape to put in the wind anyway and the riders most of the drag um so if you look at um cda being drag coefficient in your area i can't do that much with the cd but i can sure go after the a so um reduce the front layer of both the rider and the bike as much as possible um, and with steel being such a uh stiff material and strong material, you can make it a lot narrower than almost anything else frames are built of. Built of. Um, so that came about. I built this this time trial bike, um, and it was uh, measurably faster than my previous TT bike, which wasn't a slouch. I had one of the um, uh, Project Ninety Six GT uh, Olympic bikes, um, but because I could get my position so much better on the bike I built, it was. Yeah, it was faster. The first first time out on that bike, I won the state time trial. Um, it's like okay, so maybe maybe I can build a better mousetrap. Like, so, <laughs> um, and so once I did that bike and was successful, so I think okay, well, this steel bike that I built, that's that whole time trial frame fork, um, bar stem, everything was steel, and the whole thing weighed fifteen pounds. Um, it's like, huh? So if I can build a time trial bike that weighs fifteen pounds, where well, I wasn't really worried about weight then maybe I can build a really light road bike that's going to also perform really well. Um, so that was kind of how that set off on that trajectory. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of fun to take this material that people have kind of set aside as being no longer cutting edge. Um, and the reality is that while the attention has been on carbon, the steel manufacturers have quietly been working on the alloys and working on the forming. Um, and so the strength of tubing has gone up, uh, which means the uh, wall thicknesses can come down. You can build a, a lighter frame, um, but maintaining the stiffness and maintaining the right qualities. Um, and so, and then of course, being able to do custom geometry at the same time. Um, yeah, it's just it's and 
from an environmental aspect, uh, steel a steel frame is very benign in terms of building it, in terms of the conditions I'm exposed to, um, and it's you know I can use U.S. source materials, and it's ultimately recyclable and repairable. Um, so, uh, f- from an environmental point, this makes a lot of sense. So. Um Although you work primarily in steel, of course, you're no stranger to carbon. Um, I mean, you, you often use carbon head tube inserts and carbon seat tubes, integrated seat posts. And, and even in some rare cases, you've done some carbon seat stays in your otherwise steel frames. But why have you chosen to go the hybrid route rather than transitioning to full carbon like Ben Farber did, for example, at Argonaut? Do you ever see yourself making full carbon frames? I, I doubt it. I don't really want to work with that stuff. I mean, just the, the small amount I do, the dust created, it's like I'm not... You really have to set up a shop to to handle all that stuff because it's so bad for you. Um, and I'm kind of moving away from it in some respects. I you know I, I build the bikes with the carbon seat mask and stuff when customers ask for it, but um, I often try and talk them out of it because there's not, there's not really a good reason to do it apart from the aesthetic. Um with a with a really light steel seat tube and a light seat post, there's no weight saving um, in the comparison. Um, and in terms of ride quality, I think you actually get a better ride quality with a with a light flexible seat post. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been I like to experiment um, and see if there's a benefit to be had by trying stuff out. Um, and you know, I've been riding my original carbon isp bike for what, five six years now and um there's really I, I haven't done any actual um you know measurements but just from riding it um I, I, there's no real benefit i don't think so i'm kind of moving back towards wanting to do more complete steel frames so why do you use fillet brazing for joining the tubes on your bikes why not tig welding uh, I mean, I could really see TIG welding being appealing to a guy like you because you can build a bike so much faster. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, although when you're working with such thin walled tubing, um, it's and you have to do all the back purging and everything else. Um, so part part of it is just the way things worked out. I've been brazing bikes since I was 15 years old, so it's like I know how to do that well. Um, Partly is that uh, the with these very thin wool tubes, the fillet um, spreads the stress around the joint a lot better, so you don't have stress riser. Um, so potentially it can be a, a slightly stronger joint. It's hard to say. I mean, basically my my testing is that um, I want the tube to fail before the joint does, and that's I've tested my joints to that. So I'll tear the tube before the before the joint fails um and fillet brazing actually gives you some more flexibility in joining tube shapes and stuff um particularly with the thin stuff um i would i would kind of like to have a welder here there's some joints that are definitely more suited to welding than brazing um just something i need to fit into the workshop so um yeah i mean both both methods are equally valid there's it's not I mean, you know, okay, with my engineering hat on, either's fine. Um, I do enjoy the aesthetic of a a, a Philip Brace bike, though. So you mentioned testing. What kind of testing have you done uh, on your frames? 
Um, so just say testing joints just to make sure that structurally everything's fine. Um, and then just a lot of riding. Um, so when I first started out, I built frames for myself and for some friends and had them report back and ended up cutting tubes out and putting different tubes in so I could really get a sense of uh, what size and shape tubing works well for riders of different sizes and weights. Um, so it's really tuning, using the the tubing selection to tune the ride so it's just going to ride really nicely for each rider. Um, and um, yeah, just... I. I try all the experimental stuff out myself and I ride a lot so um get to really test stuff out before I offer it to anybody else. So your bikes are well known for having a very small diameter wishbone seat stay uh arrangement and that's kind of become a signature uh engineering and design element of your road bikes. And uh of course you weren't the first to do this. I mean Keith Bontrager who's a trained physicist who became a frame builder was doing something really similar. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Rick Hunter started making frames that also had a similar layout and tube diameter. But you've gone smaller than pretty much anyone out there. Can you tell me about the engineering behind your seat stay design and maybe share your opinion on why virtually everyone else does their seat stays so differently? Um, so it's just kind of thinking back to um, the principles on, on the frame, basically. Um, and when you look at the the chain stays, which are you know pretty big section and they're triangulated across the rear hub that provides all the lateral stiffness at the back of the bike um and i've actually ridden a bike without seat stays and those there's a lot of load at the joint obviously so it would probably fatigue at some point but um it's perfectly rideable it gets a little bit flexy um when cornering but it's like okay just goes to show just how strong that triangle arrangement is um so at that point the seat stays are just a prop um, and so they're only loaded in compression and a steel tube loaded in compression has a huge amount of strength so the the failure method at that point would be buckling and to get a tube to buckle from compression loading uh, takes a lot (laughs) Uh, a lot lot more than is ever seen on the seat stay loading on a bicycle so um, I could actually go strength wise I could go a lot smaller than I am now um, but, uh, the three, eight size I've, I've kind of settled on for, for most of my builds, um, works well and is light and, um, you know, jigs up easily and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of thinking through from rather than taking the accepted standard of like, okay, what, what does this need to be to do the job it needs to do? So, uh, as an engineer, when you look at other bikes out there in the world, what makes you cringe the most? Um, looking at the bikes, not so much. I mean, just the sheer size of the of the carbon tubes and stuff is just like, I mean, okay, I don't know what the layup and stuff is, but just from the size of the tube, it, those frames are probably way overbuilt and way too stiff to give a good ride quality. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what more, more makes me cringe is the um, the marketing and the a uh, lot of the magazine reports um, where people misquote engineering terms. Um, that gets a bit irritating when you when you know what stuff actually is. Um, but eh, kind of the way the bike industry is, so a lot a lot of times I have to uh, uh, kind of just chat with my customers and explain. Okay 
because they come along and say they want x y and z because that's what they've read and i'm like, okay let's talk about what those are and what it actually means and um so it's kind of a kind of a nice process to have them understand the reasons behind what i'm suggesting doing you said in past interviews that your customers inspire you to achieve new things as a frame builder. Can you talk about that for a bit? Um, yeah, so I mean, an example would be a bike I just built where um, a customer said he wanted to have a tapered head tube with a tapered carbon insert. And I'm like, well, that's difficult. <laughs> um, so I tried to persuade him he didn't need that but he really did and you know it's just it's basically an aesthetic consideration but i need to make it work as a functional piece um so then i had to go design the whole thing figure out what all the specs and tolerances are going to be um find someone who could machine the head tube to those specifications um and get a custom tapered carbon tube made to fit um so it can get quite involved some of these projects where it's kind of go down the rabbit hole and, <laughs> and follow it down um so that's and that stuff where it's just meeting the customer's aesthetics to demands is is you know it's, it's good i'm happy to make them happy the the stuff i really like to do is solving someone's problem um and i'm trying to think of an example offhand um uh, but some something can be as simple as um, fits. So that, that that's the you know the should be the main driver for someone getting a custom bike. Really, is that they can't get the fit they need. Um, and so I've done several bikes for particularly um, uh, shorter women riders who just are so poorly served by production bikes. Um, and uh, when you get the first email back that says, "I just went for a sixty mile ride and I was and I came back without any aches and pains," it's like okay great <laughs> that's that's what we wanted um so that's that's probably the most satisfying bit is just improving people's ride experience what do you do when uh customers want something that's a bad idea um try and uh, chat to them about why it's a bad idea <laughs> um ultimately i'm not gonna you know i will just say no ultimately if i i, I don't believe it's a good thing to do um but I'll try and help them understand why not and come up with a alternate suggestion. So your your waiting list is getting uh, pretty long at this point. Uh, how far out are you? Um, so it's been hovering between 18 months and two years for the last five or six years, I think. Um, so it's been reasonably consistent. Um, and I, I kind of get split on that a little bit. I hate having to tell people that it's going to be a long wait. But on the other hand, it's job security for me. So it's that kind of nature of the game, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's a bit of a feather in your cap as well. It's a, it's a sign of success that you're so in demand that you can keep <laughs> up. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful people want what I'm doing. So, yeah. So it kind of raises a question. Do you ever see yourself doing a production run of bikes or even putting together like a fabrication team that builds like TIG welded versions of some of the more popular bikes you've designed, kind of like uh, what Sasha White's done with Speedwagon? Do you ever see yourself doing something like that? I have thought about it. Um, and um, I don't I don't want to have any employees here. For one thing, my, my shop is definitely a one-man shop. Uh, so it's set up for, for me. Um, but it... I have considered outsourcing, you know, to someone local to have some TIG welded frames made, but 
when I thought about it some more, um, that would swing the balance of what I do. I like the mix I have right now between the shop time and the computer time. And if I started um, selling other bikes, it I, I would spend less time in the shop um, and more time doing all the the back end stuff. So, um, so no, I'm pretty happy. Just like anything, with my name on it means that it's had my hands on it too, um, and keep it that way. So, custom frame builders are often taking bike designs in new directions that you know we see bigger manufacturers often emulating. Um, as one of the most forward-thinking frame builders out there, where do you see bikes going in the future with respect to design and features? So the bicycle really hasn't changed very much, and stuff tends to come around in circles for the most part. I mean, the the gravel bikes we're doing now is kind of echoing the randonneur bikes from the forties uh, and fifties, um, and it'll be interesting to see. I'm kind of curious to see where mountain bike geometry goes because that stuff's been going pretty crazy um see if that comes back around or not um as for what's next i mean it's just kind of this very gentle refinement i mean it's it's almost impossible to do anything new in bicycles i mean you look back at the the patent office um in the uh, 18 end of the 18th century and um you yeah you know the this 19th story. century yeah right. yeah well there, but there was two branches there's one for bicycles and one for everything else. So everything you, you could do with the bicycles has been thought of, even if they didn't have the materials to make it. So it's almost impossible to come up with anything genuinely new. Um, and, you know, we've kind of settled on this fairly standard layout of the bicycle, um, unless you're going to start getting into uh, recumbents and other alternate things. Um, so I'd like I'd like to see the bicycle just keep evolving as a tool and... Um, the for me that's you know i ride everywhere i don't 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 drive unless you know we're going out of town or something um and so having a full tool set of like having a electric assist cargo bike having uh, a bike with panniers having bike trailers um for me that's what i'd like to see is people embracing bicycles into their lives rather than just as what they do for recreation so of all the bike projects you've done, which ones are you most proud of? Hmm. Um, definitely, like from a personal standpoint, um, and, and as a bike racer, um, showing up to a, a, a race on a bike you've built and then and winning the race is, is it's pretty hard to beat that for satisfaction. Um, but from as a as a frame builder, yeah, the the biggest thing is definitely when you solve a problem for someone and they're like they can go ride without discomfort and uh, and enjoy their bicycle again um so yeah and then i mean then you know from an engineering standpoint pulling off something like the the project right bike i did with the single-sided rear end and stuff it's just that's that's a fun challenge to think okay this should be possible how can i do it and go away and make all the parts um and it's I do enjoy the projects where I get to make everything. Um, so, for example, my my time trial bike, I made the frame, fork, handlebars, crank, bottom bracket, front hub, brakes, shifters. Um, and so, getting to like fully customize everything and think, okay, how can I optimize this for for this particular build? Um, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, and the great thing about what I do is the diversity. 
So I might be building, you know, a lightweight road bike one day, a time trial bike the next week, and then a touring bike the week after that. So um, keeps life interesting. So with all of the incredible bikes you've built and some of these cr- crazier projects like Project Right, so where do you where do you go from here? Like, what's your next challenge? <laughs> um, whatever my next customer brings to me, I guess. Um, so the Project Right thing, you know, started off as a, a one-off project with uh, fair wheel cycles um and but i've done a few more and i'm the next one's coming up i'm working on a new hub design for those so that the um with disc brakes front and rear um and with quick interchangeable wheels so the you'll be able to pull the wheels off and it will leave the disc rotor and the drivetrain on the bike um and then the front and rear wheels will be the same so you you can just have a spare wheel kicking around in the garage you can just swap into either position um and it'll just come off with one hex key so um you can almost use it as a as a quick fold in 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 a sense if you need to like just um take it on public transport or something like that um so yeah kind of chipping away at that hub design at the moment it gets a bit complicated but uh hoping hoping that's all going to work out as i have in my mind is that the main benefit you're going for is that uh that packability of it um with that design um so that's where it first came from because that was a problem a customer came to me with that he wanted this full-size simple bike that he could just he'd like measured the space in the uh, between the trains in i think it was uh in italy um that this you could fit the frame if you could just pull the wheels off easily um and and just the it's just kind of the evolution of the first hub I did um, to make it easier to assemble and disassemble and um, and stuff. So um, yeah, so customer driven as usual. Um, but then I kind of enjoy that process. Think, oh, then what if um, you could have all your wheels be the same? Um, be kind of nice idea. So so it'd definitely be a single speed bike then. Yes. Yeah, well, I guess you could do it with a, a pinion gearbox or something if you wanted gears. Um, uh, but I, I like the simplicity of the single speed um, with the belt drive. It's pretty, pretty nice setup. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome, Daniel. Thank you.